Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... Welcome back to the Compassionate Capitalist Show. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. Thank you again for uh, sharing your thoughts about this show and sharing the show with other folks. Uh, I have a, a terrific guest today. Her name is Donna Griffith. And when her media people contacted me to be a guest on the Compassionate Capitalist Show, of course, her credentials were impeccable, but I had to dig a little deeper. And I saw this quote from an interview uh, for of hers in Forbes magazine when she was interviewed. Needless to say, pitching isn't an exact science. It's more of an art form, Griffith says. Persuading investors to hand over millions of dollars requires excellent presentation skills, a forensic knowledge of the numbers, and ability to create FOMO, fear of missing out. I was like, voila, that she's my soul sister. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. In this, in this world of raising capital, in my workshops I've done on raising capital when I've coached founders, I talk exactly about that. It's a little bit of science and your data and knowledge and a whole lot of art and triggering that emotion of FOMO because we're going to get into that and how to create that in your pitch for the investors and the differences even between men and women founders pitching and raising capitals, the nuances of virtual pitching versus in-person pitching, and of course, the art of storytelling to get your message across because Donna Griffith is the corporate storyteller. She is that corporate storyteller. That is, is her claim to fame. And uh, really, when you if you go to her website, which is her name, Donna Griffith, and Griffith is with two Fs, I-T-G-R-I-F-F-I-T. She's no H. No H. <laughs> no H. Not no Melanie. <laughs> yes. Her, uh, her, she's, she's worked with globally for over 16 years with Fortune 500 companies, startups, and investors in a wide variety of industries. And through her guidance, clients have raised over a billion dollars. She was recently featured in Forbes. That's what I referenced at the start where she explained how she helped female founders raise millions of investors. And we'll, we'll talk about that. And according to the next web, Donna is in the top 100 of the best tech and business women speakers. Now, one of my goals is to get on that list too. Yes, ma'am. So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Show, Donna. Really excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Karen. This is awesome. Great to meet someone who's put angel investing on the map as much as you have. Thank you so much. So let's start by sharing with our audience how you became this sought after corporate storyteller that you are, because your satisfied client list looks like the hoo-hoo of corporate America. So you're advising startups and Fortune 500 companies. How'd that happen? So um, I, I see life as a series of, you know, signs that kind of flash up at us as we ride down our highway and maybe we're too busy to see them but then you'll have like the Vegas flashing like pay attention pay attention and those are the pivotal moments that if you really take notice then your life goes in the direction that you really were meant to or will have sure. an amazing time so I was really really lucky to at a few pivotal points in my life and my career find that pathway so so um, I was an actress from the time I basically could speak 
but something in me knew that it wouldn't be quite enough because I didn't want to be waiting tables when I was 30. (laughs) I had to find something that I loved as much, but also could make a living doing. And when I was 16, I found out that there was this thing called drama therapy. And I was just like, oh my gosh, somebody created a a profession for me. (laughs) And and, uh, I found out that they had a master's program at NYU. Everything I did from that point on was geared at getting into that program. I did my undergrad in theater, sociology, and anthropology, and did all a lot of acting and a lot of working with people. And I got into the program and uh, gosh, the, the year before 9-11 hit, I was living in New York, but that's a whole other story. But um, when I got in and started experiencing it, I realized that it basically would be working my tail off and making a starving artist's salary. And I said, <laughs> okay, didn't give up acting to do that. What else can I add to this to kind of find that other piece of, you know, it's it, it, the, the Japanese call it ikigai. It's your, it, it's your reason for being, it's being in the middle of what the world needs, what you're good at, what you love doing and right. where you can make money. You can't not have that piece in. So I was in a lecture in a, in like a post-grad program. And one of the speakers said, uh, oh, I have a friend that travels the world and gives workshops. And, and in our I'm like, oh my gosh, one of those flashing light things. Like, That's exactly what I want to do. Uh, I want to I talk to people. I want to inspire them. I want to be up in front of a group with like the acting love, but also help them with whatever skills I could give. Um, and I was lucky enough on Craigslist to find my first job right out of grad school with Boyer Communications Group, wonderful little firm, uh, boutique firm in New York. And I was sent all over the world to Fortune 500 companies um, to give presentation skills and business writing skills. I learned so much of what I know today from Brad Boyer, who was my boss and more like a father uh, than than a a boss. And then came 2008. Time. Yes. We talked about that for a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, a lot of pivots yes. happening in 2008. A lot of pivots happening. But what I noticed within that pivot, as I was trying to figure out, okay, I've never had a nine to five job. What do I do now? Was uh, I was sent a startup in the form of a cardiothoracic surgeon who needed help with his um, pro- professional speeches. And he had created two amazing medical devices. And he said, do you also do startup pitch decks? Flashing lights, flashing lights. (laughs) No, I haven't ever worked with a startup, but hey, a story is a story. I created it. There you go. And the rest is history. And how I built up my name and reputation because I was like, okay, I'm going to be working with startups now. People are like, startups aren't going to pay you. Startups don't have money. Startups don't have little little voices. And and I said, okay, we'll we'll, we'll find a way. My my husband and I, when we got married, he he, he insisted on us making a crest, a family crest. And I had to find a slogan in in Latin. So it was, uh, (laughs) uh, 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 I will either find a way or make a way. There you go. (laughs) So I just started giving my services as sponsorship for conferences and for pitch competitions and for accelerators. Uh, Make your pitches look great. Just give me the credit, put my logo up, thank me. And people started connecting the name Donna to great pitches. And and it just, the business kind of came from there because when you establish that trust and people are happy with what you do, they talk. Right. Bad they talk, but you want to be on the good end of that talking. 
So that's pretty much it. Ah, that's fascinating. Yes. I know there's, there's flashing light. That's uh, I always say it, I have this, uh, the long and winding road to where I am today, right? <laughs> hearing Paul's voice as you say that, right? <laughs> so, okay, so getting on to about engaging in a memorable presentation. So in my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, and in my workshops, I talk about this thing called the capital funnel. It's sort of very similar to the sales funnel, but it's the capital funnel, funnel mm-hmm. right? And so your experience may be different in Silicon Valley versus Southeast. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but I call it the Cougaran theory of private equity, Cougaran capital theory of private equity, mostly because Karen Rands means nothing, right? And uh, following after, you know, some of the other theories and technology and things. Uh, So the way it works is that for every check writer, you'll get three sweethearts and, and to put a five X on that, you have to see it to make a quick no. What that really means is like when they're really, they're seeing a pitch or an actual executive summary or the big one, the word of mouth recommendations to look at this deal and they pass or they go forward, right? And that's where the sweethearts come. So they're the ones you do the due diligence with and you do the follow-up. So if you do the math on that, if an average check writer is 25,000 and you're raising a million dollars, that's 40 check writers, 120 in some form of a follow-up, and but makes it to 600 have to have seen it or heard about it, right? Wow. And it's a, it's a daunting number that I always tell entrepreneurs, you have to be prepared for this and how you get to the 600, because, you know, they would come to my pitch event or different, and there'd be 40 people there and they need 40 check writers. And they are like, done. No, yeah. no, no. If you get, everyone's going to be pulling out their checkbook at the end of the exactly. event. If you get three or four that want to spend time with you, you've done well. You did a good pitch because that's just the nature of the numbers. And a lot of entrepreneurs that raised all the capital, they would say, oh, well, that's actually kind of conservative, Karen. It was more. And those that raise less or have less numbers, it's because they accomplished what you have talked about in the, that we mentioned earlier to be memorable. So I tell folks what you want to do is people may say, not for me, but they m- remember you. And I think you referenced something where you have pictures that were a decade old that you still remember. I remember and the story. I remember yes, the story, yes. the founder story. I don't remember their CAC and their LTV and their business model. I remember the story of why they started it. Exactly. And that's the thing you want those investors when they're on the golf course a week later and somebody says, hey, I've been wondering about investing in XYZ. And they go, oh, you know, I saw a company talk about that three weeks ago or last month. Uh, let me see if I can dig up the link and I'll send it to you. I call I, it the cool. I call it the brag factor. So yes. Like, investors will invest for several different reasons. One of them is like exactly like you use the golf course. I say cooking out, barbecuing with. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. You won't believe the coolest company I saw. I invested in. If that's the FOMO piece, yes. because you don't want to feel you missed out. You want to be able to say, I found the coolest company. Oh my gosh. It's- exactly. Exactly. That's why I said. And, and, and for them to be able to tell the story of what you do, because I mean, investors are obviously very smart people because they're making a lot of money doing what they do and they get a lot of things, but sometimes you still can lose them in the weeds. If you get too technical, too number, too, too numeric, you really want to rise above and give the outline of the story. Due yeah. diligence will be a chance to dive into all the nitty gritty. Exactly, of it. exactly. The goal, the goal of the meeting isn't to try to get the check. The goal of the meeting mm-hmm. is to get the next meeting. Next meeting. Yes. Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I love when I talk to investors, and it just affirms what I've been telling my clients for so many years. Um, 
you're, you're not going to get the check at the end of the meeting. I mean, I'm sure there's some Cinderella stories where you do, but if you get enough interest that they either make an introduction or set another meeting or ask for an in-depth report of your traction or whatever right. it is, that's very positive because you're moving towards action, which the final action we hope, whatever it takes another month, two, three, six months later, the investment round being closed. Yeah, absolutely. So you you put it into nice little categories, credibility, likability, and momentum. So explain to our audience how that, what that all means and how it wraps into, you know, the kind of things that you really need to be in a pitch deck when you, you go through like Guy Kawasaki's, you know, 12 pages. And- oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at odds with Mr. Kawasaki. One of these days is going to catch up with me because the whole 10 slides to tell the story has led to a lot of DMVI charts being created. <laughs> oh, my Lord. It's, it's not about getting it on the 10 slides. It's getting the content that you need to be on there in a very structured, organized way. Nobody's sitting there counting your slides, but if you do shove a slide with 50 bullet points and 10 point font in their faces, most likely you're going to lose them. Don't they do, do th- that. They do this. Oh, uh, what's on my phone? What am I, you know? My phone is fascinating. <laughs> yes. Let's check the scores of the game or the stock market or whatever. Uh, anything except doing that. I call it, they want to commit suicide. I'm sorry. That yeah. might not be very uh, but it's like, yeah. But yeah. Don't make people want to do that. Um, so there are three things and I've talked, I've, I've had conversations over the years with a lot of investors because, you know, I'm kind of a, sort of a, a, a meteor somewhere in between and I can pass on information to both sides. Um, and I love gleaning new insights from investors that I can then pass on to my clients and do better work when I'm creating pitch decks. So I've a lot of the things that have resonated with this, there's three things that investors listen for. Credibility. How well do you know your field? Do you have the team to back it up? Do they have the industry knowledge and experience for it? Um, Do you have good people on your advisory board? Do you understand the ins and the outs? Do you know your audience? Does your audience really take to what you're doing? That's the credibility piece. Likeability. It's not being, you know, cutesy little cheerleader likable. It's being open-minded, coachable. Uh, Have you ever sat with a team and you ask them a question and they start arguing with you or or anything? Oh, it's the worst. And it's like, bye-bye, that's not going to happen. So a lot of times I've seen investors ask pointedly difficult questions just to kind of see what response they get. And you want to be able to show that you have something to learn, Mm. that you're open. I mean, there's I'm sure as an investor, this past year and a half has been crazy. And we've seen a lot of companies either close or pivot. And there were some very difficult conversations. Right. You won't know that you have a partner for these conversations. Mm-hmm. And then momentum. How far have you gotten? Do you have, a, what, where's your product at? Where's your sales and your funnel, your pipeline? Where are the numbers, engagement, like the good metrics, not just the vanity metrics, things that show how far you've gotten, social proof, testimonials, IP, whatever it is that shows. So these three things have to constantly be reflected in your slides. At least one of those be touched on in each slide. Yeah, absolutely. And then the story comes in weaving that all together as like your, 
history, your motivation. You also, I think you talk about like sort of like the mission statement. People really get bogged down in mission statements a lot of times where they're, they make them way too complex <sighs> than what they knew when you're trying to say, what is your passion and what is it that you're trying to do? Because after oh. all, compassionate capitalists, that's part of it is that an investor oh, yeah. aligns with the passion of the entrepreneur and they want to make money doing it along with that company. Absolutely. So if we, I love threes. So going again in threes, if we're looking at the three layers of messaging that you also have to have in there, Simon Sinek talks about the why. Why people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. That's exactly your vision, your passion. So first of all, I like starting off with a vision statement of where you're going. It may not be exactly where you're at now, but it's where you're heading for. What are you aiming yeah. to change? What will you be when you grow up? Then you have the what. What is your product? Your simple solution statement, which should be we do X for Y by Z. Anyone could get it. An eight-year-old, my grandmother, my grandfather, whoever it is listening will automatically understand. And in that bit, you can also then show the product. You should be showing the product. And then that's the how. The, de the demo, how does it work? What's behind it? What's the technology? What's the genius? What's the story? And I suggest showing your product in the context of a user story. So your user journey, showing your understanding, their onboarding, their struggle before, how it worked, some cool features, and then the results, and then their loving testimonial. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing that ever happened to us. We're never going back to the old way. So that's another three layers of messaging that have to be baked in there. Yes, absolutely. So totally 100% agree with that, of course. And uh, so let's talk about, you know, when it comes to fundraising and using this, this, I mean, the formula that you just described and all that stuff, credibility, all the same. That's the same as I've experienced in the Southeast and the Northeast. My experience in Silicon Valley is pretty much virtual or, you know, because those companies end up migrating this way or whatever. But, um, you know, what is there a difference in how, like, within the story itself or what investors look for, you know, on the Southeast, we, uh, they tend to be much more conservative in how far they want the company to have gotten their momentum compared to necessarily in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley seems to be more um, risk tolerant. Giving away money, right? Right. They're just throwing <laughs> money on the yes. rails and sees what's Today, safe. come, we're throwing money up. No. Okay. So first of all, um, I've worked with a lot of investors in a lot of places um, I have experienced Silicon Valley start uh, investors to be extremely sharp and pointed. They get it really fast. So I feel like if I prepare someone for a Silicon Valley investor, they're ready to handle anything. You need to, of course, understand what they're looking for, be able to tell the numbers. But so there's a few things. First of all, the threes and the three that I just gave you, those aren't actually the formula. Those are just some, I'll call them flavor enhancers. Okay. <laughs> but there is a real formula and a structure that I'm happy to talk about in a minute. But um, so you need investor <laughs> language of love is numbers. They're not here for the philanthropy of it. Like you said, we want to know that we're going to make our 10X or our whatever back. It's not, I'm not just giving you money because I, I believe in you. you got to believe in them too. But you yeah. <laughs> back at the end, especially with VCs that they have GPs to answer to, they, they have to have a big return on the fund. So make sure you back up everything, even the more qualitative stories with numbers that show that this is a big market. Now, the formula. This is the winning formula, and this is based on all right. Thousands. Tune in, <laughs> get your pen and papers out. Here it is. Oh my god, yes. So, so 
this has been done for thousands of years in storytelling. This is nothing new. It's just adapting it to uh, yet another place, startups. So we've got the problem, the villain, the need, or the opportunity. Where is where, which is where you talk about your story, your origin story, why you decided to go on this crazy journey, and then show that it's not just you. This is a big problem or need in the market. Then segue into your solution, the hero who will save Gotham from all the evils of the world. What? That's where the what comes in and the how. And you show the demo. Then you go into the third part, which is the business, the big market, go to market strategies, your competitive landscape. And then my little silver bullet slide. This is another big secret, Karen, I'm giving away here today. Yeah. Um, trends and opportunities. Why you, why now? What is happening in the market? on a behavioral level, on a regulatory level, and on a funding level. People are getting money thrown at them. How do you measure up to that? And then finally, the vision for the future. And this is where oftentimes I find entrepreneurs, especially unfortunately women, don't paint a big enough picture. So if we started off with a vision statement, we want to wrap it up and say, okay, so you've seen our what and our how. Now, how are we getting back to that why from here? What is the seismic shift that we will be bringing to the market five years from now when we're grown up a bit? What will we have changed? And there you go. Voila. That's it. That's it. That's it. It is. That is exactly time proven, <laughs> you know, and it's uh the, the part where they, the likability comes in is when they can weave the story that says all that stuff and it doesn't, the worst, okay, I, well, it's not really a trick question. Let's see if, we're, if you're, you can, what's the worst thing that a entrepreneur can do when they're delivering a presentation? Other than arguing, which I already mentioned, yes. um, over uh, detailing like getting very technical, very deep with the numbers, putting up Excels, putting up very complex architectures because they're going to lose you. Yeah. Let them ask you those questions. It's just and enough, just enough data to get yeah. them excited and want the next meeting. Yeah, yeah. And then when they do that, what ends up happening is they turn and they read their chart. They oh, turn Lord. and read their yeah. chart. Now, if it's a back, uh, if it's like a Q&A chart, then and they're explaining it, that's a thing. But when they're delivering their story and they turn and have to read their charts, it's like. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for minimalism on the slides, visuals, maybe two, three bullets to back it up. People are like, yeah, but what if I want to send it out? Uh, create a send out version. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you punish people who are sitting in the room trying to listen to you with overloading them with data when maybe later they're going to want to read it. So that's great. Have a send out version, have a little bit more on it. Yeah. Um, PDF it, send it out, bada bing, bada bang, you're done. Yeah. And if you do it as a story, it's easier to remember because it's your story. You don't have to remember that number on the chart. because And stories story. resonate. That's the beauty of it because you're telling a story. I'm resonating with it. I'm nodding. We're both connecting. And there's actually evidence that shows that physically and, and mentally bodies, align minds align when a story is that powerful and that's a beautiful moment because it's like you know how people say we're on the same wavelength that's not just a saying it's true and that's a moment of great influence when you're on that same wavelength people are going to want to join you on your journey yeah absolutely so i'm going to we're going to segue into the next part about women versus and men the difference in raising capital and how that happens with a, a story that i'm going to tell that was perfect into your, you know, creating that vision piece of it. 
So I, I, early on, this is when I was running my angel group, the Network of Business and Angels and Investors, and there was this woman founder who had developed an app, and this is like real early web stuff where there was really early in mobility, mobility was, and so there wasn't a web mobility on the phone. People were kind of go, they were forced to start doing mobile apps on versions because people were using their phones to go. And you remember, I don't know, you remember how you used to, have to scroll all the way across and oh my gosh, kind of stuff. back and forth yeah. and turn it so <laughs> Yeah. Crazy. And so now when I have a company that does it, I'm like, God, get into the 21st century here. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so I digress. So this woman had developed an app and she was in the fashion industry and mm-hmm. she knew like Macy's and all these things. And she was up in, um, in Manhattan and they were really struggling with doing online e-commerce with stuff that had like a catalog. And so she had developed a sort of an interface app that would take their web and then present it in a mobile environment. And she already had some customers. She already had revenues and stuff like that. And she got up there and, and I, I didn't do any real coaching with her because of who she had been brought in by that I thought a man turned out he didn't really coach her properly. But anyhow, they had, uh, at the end, I thought everybody's going to be all over this. It's so obvious how big this is going to be. But what ended up happening was most of my audience were men and the, there were investors in the group and they were, um, and I asked them afterwards, well, what did you think about that? That wasn't that really exciting. Couldn't you see the potential? They go, oh yeah, it's a huge opportunity. I could see it, but uh, she's not the one to do it. And I was like, well, why is that? They said, because she doesn't see how big the opportunity is. And what she was doing was being conservative, right? Because she didn't want to feel like she was overstating it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and being able, and then they'd be calling her, you know, making it too big and too blusterous. And it's to one of the points you made in your article that, you know, you've got, if you know your numbers and then you have the confidence being comfortable in your skin and you can defend your numbers, you can go as big and beautiful as you want to be and what you really see in your heart of hearts is where this is going to go. Cause they, they would, I was stunned at that. She ended up raising her money, selling the company. It just didn't come from my group. Cause I gave her that feedback and she worked on that in the future. Right. Didn't do that again, That's right? the so, coachability, the likability. Yeah, right. Right. Open, and I'm sure she's very grateful for that. So I wish I could say there was no difference between men raising and women raising. Unfortunately, the stats speak otherwise. Um, the last we had is about 7% of VC funding goes to women-led companies. I'm hoping to see that shifting more and more. I co-lead a community called Women Founders Unite, where women founders and investors can come together and support each other. And I think that a lot of the change will come from women rising to more leadership positions, more women investing, becoming angel investors, VC partners, because I do think that people tend to invest in something that they identify with. So maybe with shopping or things that are more women oriented, not that women are not the biggest buying power in the U.S., but that will cause what part of the shift. But the onus is on us and we're going to be more scrutinized. So we have to come even more prepared. And I always will ask my women founder clients, listen. Because they get a little skittish, like you said, about being conservative. Like, is it okay to tell it? I don't have it yet. This is just a vision. Absolutely, it's okay. And it's expected. And I want to ask you, if you were a 24-year-old Stanford grad with all the grit getting out there and selling this big vision, 
would you have any qualms about doing it? Probably not. So maybe there is something we can learn from men who invent and come in with all this bravado. Now it's it's not braggy or or, or in you know if, if it's if it's real, if it's right. it's got back up. Now you have what you have, and then you can base projections off of that. But right. you need to be able to paint that bigger vision. Like we are truly shifting this e-commerce space. Companies like Macy's are struggling with this. We are here to pop off that bottleneck and make it all flow. Yeah, absolutely. So do you find that, I mean, uh, that are women becoming more confident as founders of companies to go and pitch to the, you know, what has traditionally been? And this probably also applies to people, founders of color as well, because a lot of the the angel investor community, particularly of organized groups, is dominantly white male, mid 40s and 50s, right? And, and think, so, okay, so women get 7%. I think for women of color, it's about one or 2%, something very low. So it's an even bigger problem. Um, so I'm hoping that as we've had, I see, so, you know, the, the pendulum swinging in terms of diversity and inclusion, and we had a great big swing happen. Um, at the height of the pandemic and with Black Black Lives Matter. And then there was a big movement towards wanting to invest more diversely. And there's a lot of tools coming out for DEI. Um, So I really hope that it's not just going to be lip service, that it's not going to, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to invest diversely, but we can't find women. You can't find women. You're (laughs) listening to this. Come to me. I have a, a list of incredible women founders that are, you know, we have the pitch decks, we have everything. There are plenty of phenomenal women out there doing phenomenal things, phenomenal founders of color doing phenomenal things. It's it's time to look outside. And I think that the pandemic really served to kind of mix things up because Sand Hill Road would not look beyond its 10 mile radius. And then yeah. suddenly we were all on Zoom. So it didn't really matter. I know. And all of a sudden we're finding founders in Kansas and in Singapore and in Africa. And wow, there's a big world out there. How about that? Yeah. And we can do business virtually. So that I think was the gift of this crazy pandemic. Not, you know, I think that's a big part of it. I think com- all those, those trends, this is kind of to your point about what's going on in the marketplace right now, kind of a thing when people talk about that. But, you know, I did a couple of podcasts talking about uh, black prosperity, past, present and future. And a big part of it was this, those statistics, right. About how, they're, it's hard to go, they, they get entree into the rooms. They didn't, nest, you know, to, to be able to, you know, actually even pitch. And the pandemic really did change that because you didn't, it didn't matter where you were located, right? Just like it didn't matter, located, didn't matter if your kids were playing in the next room. Yeah. It didn't matter if you were pregnant, nobody could see that. Right. I have a, a, a friend, she is a phenomenal founder of a company called Papaya Global, who is now unicorn status. And she raised three ah. mega rounds uh, at the same time where she was having three kids. Wow. And the first round she was raising, um, she basically was kind of like looked down upon. She was here actually in the valley raising, and a few people said to her, Let's talk after you have the baby. Oh, yeah. that same VC firm came back to her in her third mega round, wanting to join in. And she said, Sorry, no. Good for I her. Have a lot of admiration for that because people show their true colors in that. Yeah. Now, sometimes it'll be like you didn't get the solid no. And people will come back later on after they've heard some traction and be like, hey, how are you? 
don't poo-poo them then. But if they've said something that blatantly misogynistic or sexist or whatever we want to call it, that's not the kind of people you want on your journey with you. Well, and that's a big part of the follow-up. What I tell folks when they're raising capital and that funnel that we talked about. So somebody's asked for information, but you don't hear from them. And, or you've had a couple of follow-up exchanges and you're like, oh, they must not be interested. No, they're never a no until they're actually a no. Sometimes they're waiting for an exit. Sometimes their daughter's getting married. a major milestone. So I always say, take those people off of your weekly follow-up list and put them on your monthly or your quarterly. Right. So they see what's going on with you and they see your traction. And you don't be surprised if you then hear back from them because in Silicon Valley, you will rarely hear a no. You'll probably hear a great, amazing, awesome, totally going to do this, can't wait, and then never hear from the person again until you hit a point of traction. And it's not that they didn't really mean that in the moment. If they're truly interested, how do you know? They'll take action. They'll email, they'll intro, they'll whatever. Something will be done. But if they're interested and still want to watch you, they're not going to say that no. They want to have the door still slightly open. Right, right, right. So let's real quick, real quick, before we wrap up here, let's touch on, is there a difference in the presentation that you deliver in person versus doing it online? Are there some special things? Because sometimes, you know, you get animated, but you end up being this little tiny box up in the corner when you're doing a presentation, a virtual presentation to Mm -hmm. investors, Mm -hmm. or you're reliant on, you're not even, they're watching a a video of a presentation or a story Mm -hmm. and you don't even get to see any kind of, you know, who it is, right? Sometimes right. in virtual meetings, they don't, you don't necessarily, they might be a judges panel where you can see the people, but for the most part, you don't see everybody that's watching and all the investors are watching. Right. So is there any nuance to being able to deliver that, that, uh, you know, the people may not be thinking about compared to yes. regular? Absolutely. So there's a few things that you want to be mindful of. First of all, when you're in a room, you have that kind of interaction and their feedback and it feeds your energy. So right. try to have, I always put the video strip right in the middle of my screen over my slides. People won't see the, the strip, but then it's like, I'm focused on them. So if you can get even some people on video and kind of use that as the interaction or imagine the room so excited, you have to treat it like an in-person meeting with the excitement, get a little bit dressed up. I mean, out of the yoga pants and the sweats, <laughs> something that makes you feel a little more normal, I, I, I wear shoes even, I mean, <laughs> something that gets you feeling that kind of sense of like that in-person adrenaline, right. um, your voice becomes even more important. You must practice and record your voice. If you're putting yourself to sleep, likely you're putting others to sleep. So do an exercise like you are a QVC, your home shopping network, salesperson, like going totally over the top and then listen to that. Most likely that's actually not as bad as you thought it was going to be. And you need to kind of ump up that energy. See my hands now. They're up here in the little box, as you called it. If I was on stage, they'd probably be down here, but you can't see it. The hands add emphasis. So bring them into the Zoom thing. Lean forward, talk to them. Then you can lean back. So it's changing things up and grabbing Good. their attention and your slides have to be spectacular. They ha- there's no choice for crappy looking, no, no room for crappy looking slides. With, if you're building a billion dollar product, your slides have to look like a billion dollars too. Yeah. Either hire a great designer or use some of the tools out there like Canva or beautiful AI or pitch IO or whatever to improve your slides. You only get one chance, make it a good one. 
Make it a good one. People are deciding in the first 30 seconds whether they're interested in even considering (laughs) moving on with you, not if they're investing in you, just moving to the next stage. So make those first 30 seconds stellar. Yeah. Whether you're in the room or you're in the Zoom. Yeah. And and sometimes those first 30 seconds are, do they listen for the next nine minutes? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So great. So, okay, Donna, and everybody remember now, Donna Griffith dot com d-o-n-n-a-g-r-i-f-f-i-t dot com as you see my name's written here just take away a little space and yeah, make it up, huh? yeah. and i'm gonna have her facebook group link in the show notes so go click on that if you want to uh, if you're a female founder or a female investor, it's really just females in this group, right? Yes. It's only women. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, but it's, it's, it's very, very supportive, diverse, and inclusive. And, and we really try to help. And this is, it's totally nonprofit. We're totally volunteering our time to, to do it. And there's just some incredible resources in the group. And speaking of resources on my site, Donna Griffith.com, um, under resources, I have some wonderful um, cheat sheets for building the investor deck, building, oh, a, nice. building a sales deck. So you're welcome to check those out. Um, it's kind of like giving away the recipe at a Michelin star restaurant. Some people will cook it at home and love it. And some people will come to the chef to cook it. So, and, right. and also anyone listening to the show, mention the show. If you reach out to me, special discount for Karen Rand listeners. Terrific. Thank you so much. All right. So final thoughts on your perspective of working with over a thousand startups and VCs, as we say our goodbyes. Be be memorable. Tell a story that they will never be able to forget because people, Maya Angelou said, you know, people will never forget the way you made them feel and stories make you feel. So leave that memorable, show your humanity beyond, have great numbers, be prepared with the business. But if you really want to be memorable, story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show, Donna. This is terrific. And uh, of course, everybody, please go to karenrands.co to check out, get the book, check out whatever else, talk about the rest of the podcast, things like that. Uh, Share this with somebody, a female founder or a female investor or somebody out there that you know that could benefit from this powerful information. Men too, there are still things. This is true. They do get to learn how to do a proper presentation to raise capital if they listen to this. Do work with a lot of men and they they need the help too. It's not just women. Yes, absolutely. So with that, onwards and upwards, thank you so much.